Well, again, good morning to you. Um, I'm Joel, and we are going to jump into a passage today, really looking through the next several weeks, taking a break from the book of Hebrews, um, and we're going to be diving into pictures of Jesus, really examining some of Paul's words about who Jesus is and exploring what that means for us today. Um, And today, the way that I want to begin, because we often jump into the month of December, and what we'll hear are primarily Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is the most popular because it's the most detailed passage about the birth of Jesus Christ. We walk through that. It's an amazing passage. We'll get to some of that when we're a little bit closer to Christmas. But this season, I think we have an opportunity to evaluate the significance of the birth of Jesus, not to run by by only looking at tradition or a preconceived notion or idea of what Christ has done, but to step in and go, wait a second, we have an opportunity today to really allow it to engage our hearts and the way that we think and the way that we speak differently if we'll take the time to do it. And so as we've explored what to really walk through this Christmas season It's looking at the different pictures, once again, of Jesus that Paul paints in his words, and it's going to be tied back into the prophecies and everything else. And that's where I want to begin today. Some of us just go, well, it's really just Christmas is an event. It's about Jesus, but really it's not anymore. It's really just about gift giving and families getting together. And we lose some of the significance, some of the meat that's there with knowing that Jesus Christ came into this world in human flesh 2,000 years ago. He has always been from the very beginning with God, but now God sent his son in human flesh. And we get to celebrate that that was humanity changing, humanity altering. And we have forgotten the significance of it. So I want us to go, and then some of you, are, you can debate and you can discuss, well, what was it really like? I want us to start right now looking at some of the prophecies. I'm going to call out several prophecies for you that, are, that have been fulfilled so you see the significance of what's happening. And then we're going to jump into some of the words of Paul. So you might want to jot some of these down. I'm going to begin with Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So some of you may have friends or family who go, well, what, what's the legitima- legitimacy of the birth of Jesus, etc.? But we're going to just go ahead and jump into this because Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, Isaiah was written roughly 700 to 750 years before the time of Jesus. So I'm going to give you some time frame here too. So some would even say 740-ish, okay? So um, well over 700 years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, here's the prophecy that's spoken, Isaiah 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Over 700 years before the time of Christ. So I want to match that up. I'm, going to, I'm just going to try to help you as much as I can with this. I'm going to make this as, as simple as possible. I'm going to match that up with Matthew chapter 1, 21 through 23, which lets us know she will bear a son, says the angel. You shall call his name Jesus. It is he who will save his people from their sin. Now all this took place that was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold... The virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Remember, this is exactly what was just said over 700 years before in a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, which translated means God with us. 
Emmanuel, God with us. Everybody say, God with us. So there's one of the prophecies over 700 years before, and it comes to fruition later on. Another prophecy I want to call out, and there's hundreds of prophecies. I have to be selective, okay? Um, Jeremiah 33. This is roughly six, 650-ish years before the coming of Jesus Christ. So what we have here in Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16, another text, it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word or to have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, and it continues on, it talks about Judah shall be saved, Jerusalem shall dwell in safety. It says that this will happen in Judah and Jerusalem. The Lord is our righteousness. And then goes on to say, this king who comes to establish the glorious kingdom of justice and righteousness, this one will come as a branch through David's family. Well, that takes us to the first verse of the New Testament with the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew. Now, both in Matthew and Luke, you had the genealogy of Jesus. A bit more thorough in terms of Matthew chapter 1, but you had the genealogy of Jesus in both of these cases. And in both, you had the line, the lineage that comes from Abraham. This is crucial to fulfill prophecy. This also goes to the lineage, the line of David. In both, you have one where Mary and one where Joseph are directly with those two genealogies. Both are linked directly to David to, to show us the lineage, the depth of the prophecy being fulfilled from centuries and centuries before. Now, remember, all of this is compiled, all of this is done well before they have the well before having the resources that we have today. And yet it still lines up perfectly to show us. So what we do is we go to Luke chapter 1, verse 32. And it lines up perfectly with Jeremiah 33. It says, Luke 1, 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. It shows us prophecy being fulfilled once again. The prophecies, the, well, even a better way of even thinking about it is the genealogy of the New Testament reveal and verify the lineage of Jesus Christ linked to David, linked to Abraham. Another one, final prophecy for you, just these are some simple ones for us to kind of grasp, would be from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah 5, 2. Friends, this should mess with you. This should grab your heart and activate your heart spark your heart to go, wow, this is real. This is real. And so why is it that there's so much persecution about the love of Christ? Listen, the love of Christ, when you understand God comes into your life, he does convict because he points out and he shows you your sin. And some people hate that. And we naturally are hostile toward that very thing. If you're not a person of humility, and so you act out against it, that's what's happening throughout the world. And yet we see the reality of what's happening. Micah 5, 2 but as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathath. Now, the reason it says that is because there's two Bethlehems and it's just distinguishing between the two. It's getting detailed. It's showing you that this is the one I'm speaking about. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me to be the ruler in Israel. 
His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. An eternal one will be born in Bethlehem, is what it's letting us know. And of course, we know that he's from Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And that he is, according to John and other passages as well, he is the bread of life. I am the bread of life. It's one of seven I am statements that are found in the Gospel of John. And it all lines up perfectly over centuries and centuries of time, all doing the exact same thing. And it tells of the story, honestly, of redemption. That an eternal one, an eternal one has been born in human flesh. And it's a telling of redemption. And it continues more and more, even with those words of Paul. And the more we learn of Scripture, the more we learn that Christ was sent in human flesh on a mission of redemption. God sent his son in, in human flesh on a mission of redemption for the entire world. And it was fulfilling prophecy over and over and over and over again. In Romans chapter 1, now I want to go to some of the words of Paul because it shows us the same thing. In Romans chapter 1, it's a great passage to write down. 1 through 4, it says the following, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now listen to verse 3 and 4. These are the, the key verses I want you to listen to. It says, Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So even the words of Paul are now painting this picture for us. The words of Paul are painting this picture for us of Christ. So not only was it prior with the, with the followers of Jesus Christ when he was still living, but now it's Paul. He's talking about the fact that he was a descendant of David. Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God, declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from, from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It all connects. You see, that's one of the things that we have to understand about the power of Scripture. The power of Scripture, you've got 66 books, and how many testaments? Two. Okay, uh, you've got to know. I know that you know that. Maybe I wasn't clear. There's 66 books, and how many testaments? Oh, you're, you're brilliant. So, but they're not just blocks. They're all woven together perfectly. That's why you need to read the entirety of it. From where it begins, right? In the beginning, God created. All the way to the very end, to his second coming in Revelation and what that's going to be. So we look at it and it's all woven together. Friends, recognize if we, if we saw so many similarities, so many commonalities, all of these things coming to truth, coming to the, the, the fact that, man, this actually happened? If it was any other subject on this planet right now, we would all be on our face in worship and all of what is happening. So why have we lost that? Because in here, Paul, he goes even further, and he's speaking to the people in Galatia, which is Galatians, right? There's a group of churches in Galatia, and so he's writing this book called Galatians, 
And he says the following where I want to really spend some time today in Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 5. And he says this. In fact, let's just go ahead and stand. It's only a couple of verses, but let's stand for this, the reading of the word of God. And since it's so short, this is the entirety of it, I'm going to make sure that you call out several words here. Um, make sure, but there are none that are long. All right? But when the of had come, God sent forth his born of, born under the, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might adoption as, this is the word of God, you may be seated. So here's Paul. Paul in the book of Galatians is, you need to know who he's dealing with because this is going to help us understand more of these prophecies, more of what Paul is speaking about, okay? So Paul is dealing with a bunch of Jewish legalists in many ways. So when Christ first ascended into heaven, you think about the New Testament church in Acts chapter 1, there were far more Jewish Christians than there were Gentile believers, non-Jewish people who had accepted Christ. Because yes, we know that God came and it's the understanding that he started with the people of Israel in order to reach all people in the earth. But those people often would, they, they hoarded the message of God right? And then what you have is by the time Paul is doing his thing in this book and he's writing this letter, um, many think he's already in, in prison and etc. But as he's doing that, there's already as many Gentile believers as there were Jewish believers. So this can create some tension for some who are like, wait a second, it's all about the law. It's all about keeping track of everything that you need to be doing and making sure that you're doing everything the right way. One illustration or example of that would be circumcision, which is why Paul speaks about that so much, because the Jewish legalist would be like, you have to be circumcised. And Paul is going, no, 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 guys, you got to recognize the law can help us, the rules. And, and that's another way to think about it. The rules that were established long ago, they can help us, they can guide us, but it's not just about obeying that group of rules. That's not what it's about. It's about a freedom that's known in Christ. So here's Paul's writing to these Jewish legalists because some of the Jewish legalists are getting some of the Gentiles to even convert to Judaism to get circumcised so that they could be truly with Jesus and with God. And he's like, whoa, guys, you've lost your way. You've lost your way. What are you doing here? So he's trying to influence these believers in Galatia and these churches. Because they're telling people, these Jewish legalists again, are telling people to exchange the, the freedom that they have in Christ, really to exchange it for bondage to the law. And so here, he's writing this letter. And, and Paul knew that God-fearing Gentile believers were beginning to go in the wrong direction. So he's trying to correct course for them. He's coming alongside them. No, 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 you're going, you're going over there. You're supposed to be coming over here. And he's trying to get them back on track about living the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. Because he's also wanting them to know that, that if you only obey a, the law, if you only obey a group of rules, that that can actually imprison people. But faith sets you free. And we can live in the freedom of Christ. Now, hear this also, though. So this is the tension. We always say at Chapel Point, you want to live in the tension. When you say, I just want to live in the freedom of Christ, wow, I recognize all the prophecies have been fulfilled. Look at this. It's, I mean, there's just a few that I gave you matched up to the New Testament, right? And it's like, wow. And so when you live in that freedom, what you also have to know, though, is that, that liberty 
is not license. Liberty is not a license to do whatever you want. Now that's where the tension comes in. So you have a a group of Jewish legalists who are going, it's all about making sure you obey every rule. And if you don't obey every single rule and become a part of what we've already been following for generations, then you obviously don't know anything about God. Now, the other side of that is going, okay, wait a second. I recognize all these prophecies and they're coming to fulfillment. And so now the grace of Jesus means I can do, do whatever I want. No, liberty is not license. And so this is being painted as a picture for us and helping us to understand Paul is dealing with these people. He's dealing with those individuals. That might mean some of you. Some of you might be hardcore. This is what you do. This is what you do not do. There are certain things you do in terms of on Sunday and you don't do on Sunday. When I was growing up, you didn't do anything on a Sunday. Right? I mean, anything. You didn't go to the store. You certainly didn't. I remember the first time I went to a movie on a Sunday night. And maybe I shouldn't say that because you're going to be like, right now, did anybody just judge me? (laughs) I went to a movie on a Sunday night and I questioned salvation. Um, And I remember the first time I did one day, I blew my driveway on a Sunday and my neighbor egged me. Um, like, how can you claim to know Jesus? Like, so I, there are certain things. We come up with these rules that are to guide us, to help us. But when the rules become whether or not we know Christ, we've missed the mark. And then so, that's some of you today, right here. And then you have others who are all about, man, it's just about grace. I can do anything I want. Don't you understand because the prophecies are true and because Jesus Christ was given in human flesh, I can do whatever I want to do, but yet we know Scripture says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And so we have to measure today as we walk through this text what this means for us because it begins off in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, he's going to show them friends There is a truth, in in fact, that Jesus came for us, and he came at the perfect time. So here he is writing to to these Jewish legalists, and he's making the fact, guys, he's reminding them. Jesus came, and he came at the perfect time. The fullness of time had come. Another translation would be, when the time was right, God gave his son, Jesus Christ. When the time was right, Jesus came at just the right time. Paul's pointing this out in order to bring a redemptive plan for the world. Some may think that Jesus was late to the scene. He was not late to the scene. There are so many different things, even in fulfilling of Daniel's prophecy. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 26, we have prophecy then being fulfilled also with the coming of Jesus Christ. It prophesied that 483 years afterwards, and that's when Christ came, right? It got detailed about the prophecies. There's another one for you. So he's saying at the right time, Christ came. And you're acknowledging that, you're seeing that, which is great. Pax Romano is one of the reasons because at this point, the Roman Empire was so vast. This is part of knowing that it was the right time. Like there was finally an opportunity to have transportation and to actually, when I say transportation, you had roads, right, that were safer. And so you could travel different places. You also had a Greek language that was more commonly used. And so all of a sudden, everything is fitting together perfectly for Jesus Christ to come. You know what else made it the perfect time for Jesus to come when he came? 
is there was a moral abyss that was happening. Even the pagans were speaking about how morally um, just corrupted everything was. Everybody lived according to their own desires. Everybody lived according to their own preconceived notions of what life should be. And there was a morality collapse that was happening. Truly, we know that even the pagans were like, what's happening here? This is horrendous. Friends, it's happening today if you haven't figured that out. So these are the events at the birth of Jesus that were unfolding. It was the perfect time for Christ to come. Again, when the fullness of time had come, when it was the right time, God, according to the fulfilling of the prophecies in Daniel and in Jeremiah and in Isaiah and more and more and more, right? And in Micah, according to everything lining up perfectly, God sent his son Born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It was the perfect time. It was the perfect time for him to send forth his son. Even speaking about the virgin birth, many say born of a woman is referencing being born, right? It's a veil for referencing the virgin birth. So he's addressing that. He's talking about what it is to be born under the law, that Jesus has the power and the resources to redeem. He has the right and the ability to redeem, to purchase us out of slavery, to purchase us from the bondage of sin. But In this passage, as we look at this, it says, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law. To redeem those who are under the law. To rede- I, want, I want to hear this again. To redeem those who are living only by a set of rules. It doesn't mean that a set of rules can't be a healthy thing. I'm not saying that. What it's saying, though, is if that's all that you're living by, you're in trouble. And so now he's coming to redeem those who were under the law. What's it mean to redeem something? It means to buy something back. It's one way to think about it. Right? In West Michigan, how we think about it is we go to the store to redeem. Maybe you get a coupon and you redeem a coupon. Right? There are sometimes I saw something, um, you can go and you could read, it was before Thanksgiving, and you could read, if you purchased this, you could turn in a coupon and you could get free, like it was like sweet potatoes or something like that. It's like, okay, you can redeem that and you get it as a result of turning something in. That's what it means to redeem something. And so Jesus, what we need to recognize is that he is redeeming us. He's buying back us from our sin he's offered to a he's offered it to us freely but it cost him everything and as a result of Christ buying us back of redeeming us we now can know what it is to be adopted as his children right now I want to make sure that you hear this Every single human being 
has an opportunity to be a child of God, but yet not every human being is a child of God in the sense of an adoptive relationship because they have not embraced what Christ has done. I think it's a big uh, sticky point for us today and trying to recognize have we truly received, have we embraced what Christ has done for us in the giving of his life? I mean, Jesus Christ, we celebrate Christmas, right? The, the coming of Jesus being born into this world. And yet all these prophecies point to this place. And my concern as we walk into Christmas this year is that we get stuck on, on just this notion of what we are taught as a, as a young person rather than living the fact that Jesus Christ really did come onto this earth to redeem all of those who profess faith in him. And we've lost the sense of the celebration, Again, in, this, in, the, in verse 5, it says, He came to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption as sons, adoption as daughters, adoption as children of God, to know what that means. Even speaking about what it is to be an heir of God is what some translations would say. And to be an heir of God means just like Abraham, you have been made a partaker of the promise of God in Christ. When we look at Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 5, it continues on. And I want to read 6 through 7 for you as well. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But this is where I want to just, I want to make sure we spend a little bit of time here today. And I want to remind you again of what's happening. Here's Paul writing to a bunch of legalists who are living by the law and not according to the freedom that Christ came in his birth, that he brought with him and the giving of his life and, and being born of a woman. So Paul is speaking to them and he's like, listen, so many of you are still living in captivity. You're living as slave to a law. Now, those, these are two different things. We also know that we are to be a doulos in Greek, which is a slave, but we are a slave out of choice to Christ to submit our lives. That's different than living as a slave to the law. Those are two different things here. So this is what I want us to be able to do. I want us to acknowledge, and I want you to examine the difference between living as a slave to the law or if you're living as a child of God. Because this can be hard for us. I'm going to give us some, some ways to examine whether or not you're stepping into Christmas this year, living as a slave to the law, or if you're living as a child of God and the freedom that he brings. All right? Because this is, again, being a slave that's not necessarily, you're, you're living slave to sin, not slave to Christ. Those are different things. We can dive into that more if we need to. But this means that um, you have your owned right, by your sin. You're owned by your sin. Meaning you have this sphere of ma making sure that you meet the expectations of others. Maybe you wake up every day and you're more concerned about what others are going to think of you and your appearance and how you do in school or how you do at work. And that's your greatest concern rather than wanting know, to know more of the Heavenly Father. 
You always have this anxiety. Am I going to look nice enough? Am I going to do well enough? Am I going to perform well enough? Am I going to make others happy, even though I don't know if I even really want to make them happy, but at least then I won't be mocked or I won't look, be looked down upon. And so that's what, anybody know what that feels like? Always consumed by the expectations of others. None of you have ever struggled with this before? Right? No, seriously. Have anybody, has anybody here ever put on, I do it every Sunday, I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm like, man, whatever I wear, I'm going to be judged anyway. What am I going to wear that I'll be least judged on? Right? Anybody ever gotten dressed thinking about what others will think of what you're wearing? Anybody before? Anybody? Every one of you. And men, if you say no, let me speak to your wife. Well, did you know that's living in, in, in a form of slavery to the wrong thing? You're concerned about living up to the expectations of others rather than living according to the way that God designed for you to live? That's what that means to live as a slave in that manner. It means that you live, I think you live in the poverty, this is a key word, poverty of uncertainty. You never know what's going to come. You live in this poverty of uncertainty that comes in life, and yet you're always trying to earn everything. You're living by, you want to earn it. You want to live by the law and make sure that you keep every single rule and that everything's always fair and that everything's mapped out in life. And so you want to control whatever is happening for you. One of the things I speak to our elders about all the time, if we think we can control what's happening here, then it's not a movement of a God because the hands of a man cannot control a movement of God. But yet we want to control everything. And so for some of us, we live in this place. Every one of us have lived here at some point, And some of us ebb and flow in and out of it. Yes? But what's it look like if we're living as a child of God? It means that we're an heir of the Father. And you can't break that. Like, it can't be broken. God doesn't go, man, I receive you. I love you so much. And then he says, oh, forget it. I don't want to do that anymore. Right? We've been in those relationships before where we think, man, we're going to be together forever, right? I remember, you know, you get a girlfriend when you're seven years old because they gave you a new crayon. And you're like, wow, you're the best. It was blue and everything. And you're like, we're going to be friends forever. And then you don't even remember, I don't even remember their name. God doesn't do like God remembers your name. He knows who you are. That's what it means to be a child. It means that you live according to his riches. Right? God doesn't step into the picture just to come and help you out. God steps into the picture now as, as being in a relationship with him. Man, he's doing more than helping you out. He's making you part of his family. It means that you are loved deeply it means that now, not only that you don't have to earn it, but you just simply get to receive it. And that, that means grace in your life. And so here in verse 6 and 7, it's, it's letting us know, this and because you're his children, because you're sons is what it says, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. In, the, in these words, it's literally daddy. It's that type of daddy crying out, daddy. 
Why are you calling it out like that? Because you know that now you don't have to live in captivity to waking up every day consumed by what others think and say. You get to wake up every day knowing that you've been embraced by a heavenly father and it overwhelms you. And so you say, Daddy, thank you so much. I worship you. When we consider this, I think my challenge really for us as we step into this month of December, as we step into what it is to celebrate the birth of Jesus, is I want to I ask you to evaluate in reality which are you living by. The prophecies are real. They came to fruition in the giving of Jesus Christ. And now we have a decision to make that if we really receive that, are we willing to live as a child of God, calling out to Him like it's a different posture? When you walk into a place and you're like, oh, I'm going to worship Jesus, and you're like, okay, and then I'm going to go live my life on my own, I have to believe you're still living sometimes as a slave. Not to Christ, but to the things of this world. Because if you know the fullness and the reality of what Christ has done for you, that he's given his son to be born into this world, God has done that through Jesus. When you recognize that, it causes you to step into the picture and you just call out, Daddy, Abba, Father, I am no longer a slave. I am a child of God. So maybe that's, maybe that's where we need to begin. Maybe some of you need to begin there today just to go at some point, get on your knees and say, Daddy, I love you, Abba, Father. Thank you for bringing redemption into my life. Don't let me live only by the law, but let me live according to your grace and your mercy. But don't ever, Lord, let me abuse it. Let me seek your will and your ways. If we can do this, my friends, if we can live as his child, we will know the birth of Jesus in a way we've never known before. So let's pray together. Lord, I do pray for that very thing, that we would know more of what it is to live according to your love and your redemption and your hope, that we would know more of what it is to live according to Well, what it means to be a child, a son, a daughter. We love you, God. Remind my friends in this place today that they are your children. Amen.